Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa Idea in the 21st century. In this episode of the Iowa Idea Podcast, I'm joined by Josh Krakauer. Josh is the CEO of Sculpt, a business-to-business social media marketing agency. Sculpt launched in 2012 with a mission to connect clients with their human customers more humanly. Josh has developed social media strategies and awareness campaigns that have launched three best-selling books, humanized publicly traded corporations, accelerated early-stage startups, and convinced tech workers to move to Iowa. He's obsessed with connecting people passionate about their ideas. Josh sits on the advisory board of the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Center and was named one of CBJ's 40 Under 40 at the age of 25. While Josh now works remote from Washington, D.C., he'll still convince you that Iowa City is the best city on earth. We explore Josh's journey as an entrepreneur and community connector. I appreciated Josh's thoughtfulness and perspective on how he has shaped Sculpt. This episode was produced by Spark Consulting Group in Iowa City with support from Executive Podcast Solutions. The Iowa Idea Podcast theme music was written and performed by Paisley Bible. It was an honor having Josh join me on the show. I thank him for sharing his time and insights, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Josh, thanks so much for joining me on the Iowa Idea podcast. It's an honor to have you here, and I always love it when I have the opportunity to catch up with you. Uh, For our guests, if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, Matt, it's it's wonderful getting a chance to talk with you, as always. Love talking shop. My name is Josh Krakauer. Uh, my company is Sculpt, and I am a social media strategist. That's, I guess, my profession, but I'm really just an internet enthusiast, seeing how ideas spread on the web and being a part of teams and brands that, that help make that happen. Great. And you, you spent a lot of time in Iowa City. You, you recently left, but what brought you to Iowa City? I love Iowa City. I spent 12 years there helping take a small part in the evolution of the community, I would say, especially the startup community. And that's certainly what kept me there. I'll say what brought me there was college. I'd say most people probably end up there either because they were dragged there from a spouse or because they they went to school there to begin with. And I was in that camp. I, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs uh, where 30% of University of Iowa students start. Right. And I'm probably one of the 3% that stayed. <laughs> what, uh, what did you major in? It's really interesting because I came to the University of Iowa for 
I think they, it's even just might just be called pre-business. Like you couldn't think of a more broad, uh, perfect description of someone that has no idea what they want to do than pre-business. Like I'm not even fit for business yet. And it was an entrepreneurial itch. I think I had, and a desire to just be in the commerce space in some way or another. I ended up majoring for majoring in marketing with a, you know, with courses in entrepreneurship and then started a marketing agency. So I, I guess I did exactly what I studied to do. Oh, that's great. Uh, when you were in school, do you know, in the college of business, did the, uh, management entrepreneurship track exist? No, not, not in the way that it does today, but it, there was, you know, the entrepreneurial college has existed in the business school for, you know, 20 years. And I took courses in that. Cool. And why did you decide to stay in Iowa City after school? I met some amazing people in the early journey of starting Sculpt. I mean, to call it a business when we first started it was, it would not even be fair because it was a logo and a website, a business card, and an aspiration to be a real business, but it was truly just three recent grads or, you know, soon to be grads trying to hustle our skills into a way to make money on the side and get real jobs. And when graduation hit and I started networking in the community to, to really build our client base, I met some really amazing people uh, probably half of which have been on your podcast already who loved that we were starting a business like Sculpt in Iowa City, where at the time, this is 2012, early 2012, social media marketing, it's not a brand new concept, but it certainly wasn't an established channel of marketing advertising. It certainly wasn't, there was a big barrier to entry for small business owners to figure it out. So having a upstart, you know, boutique agency that just focused on this kind of mysterious thing for people just was uh, something that all of the entrepreneurial folks in the the region wanted to, uh, you know, support keeping around here. And so it became a matter of knowing that we were going to be able to plug into some amazing things. You know, we were part of the first co-working space in town. We helped launch the first startup weekends. We did uh, work along the creative corridor project and all, all of these areas where they allowed us as the social media team to flex our skills and make an impact. I would just never been a part of a place that had so much trust in someone that they didn't know. And that was so welcoming to, to people like us. Yeah. And thanks. And I, I want to dig in a little bit more on kind of the early days of uh, co-working because your, your name does come up positively in, in the lore of early co-working. What, uh, what was it that got you involved and what was giving you energy uh, to stick with it? I mean, co-work, the value prop for co-working makes so much sense. It's, Hey, do you want to uh, work in a class A office space with uh, other potential clients and collaborators 
and pay a fraction of the rent of you having to do it yourself, I mean, checks all the boxes. Uh, it, at the time, was also exciting because as the, the entrepreneurial community was relatively new, you needed meeting spaces for people to come together. And you had lots of conversations about just the, the value of these serendipitous collisions. If you talk to certain people in the community, they'll use words like that. And what it really means is you're having coffee and you overhear someone saying something, and then it turns into a business opportunity. It turns into a long-term project. And it, I think it's just an exciting environment to be in. I know that they over time, you know, co-working has become one, of course, a massive uh, business that has, you know, real winners and losers today. There's not as many of these just uh, like one-off co-working spaces. It's a tough business to actually make money on. And luckily in our community, we, in Iowa City, there are people who underwrite this as part of an economic development initiative, as opposed to just a private business. And I think that's where it really worked. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I came into kind of the co-working realm in Iowa City much later, but yeah, absolutely love it. And you said some of the things, uh, you know, having coffee, just bumping into somebody, having a, uh, talking to somebody and then, then them saying, oh, you know who you need to talk to, right? And just kind of the way that people are really helping try to try to help everybody advance and like they might not be the person but they might know somebody that can help in the journey has been super energizing even even during these these kind of strange pandemic times yeah could yeah exactly that and for whatever you do in life to be a part of a it's really a community inside of a community is the way to look at things like that and that's a really exciting proposition to be the one social media expert in this micro community, because everyone's going to need that support at some point uh, to be the, the one sort of digital transformation consultant, right? Like there's going to be these conversations that pop up and they certainly had more practical, um, you know, service providers that lived in that environment. And, you know, we worked alongside companies that ended up becoming very successful companies. You know, we started when, you know, alongside, let's say Pear Deck with, you know, two people working in a small office. And just, I think the spread of ideas when people are really early stage and growing uh, to get free advice on something instead of hiring a consultant or spending hours on the internet looking for answers for any obscure thing that happens, you know, we need to pull someone in for a photo shoot or we need to ask this question. Like it just is a nice to be in a community inside of a community. Yeah, and I, I love the the idea too with the uh, having some different. Um, sorry, I got a garage door. I got a, a a kid coming home from school. Bring him so on. I, Bring I him don't on know if you can hear the hear the garage door or not. I'll be back in just a second. Okay. Sorry about that. I mean, it, it wouldn't be authentic without like the background noise of a garage door opening or a dog barking. Or, it has to be one of those. Right. Uh, yeah. So when you're, you're talking about the, those ideas, those connections, a, a couple thoughts 
too is uh, the the book. Uh, are you familiar with the book "Where Good Ideas Come From" by Stephen Johnson? I I was probably recommended to read that, and now I definitely have to. So that sounds great. One of the big things he explores is port cities in Europe where innovation took off, and it, the port cities was because you were having people from uh, different trades from all over the world converging and then gathering basically uh, coffee shops and bars and exchanging ideas. And uh, so it, that's one part there where you're able to bring in these multiple perspectives. And then uh, I remember reading a while back, it was the um, when Pixar was redesigning their new headquarters, one of the things they were intentional about was basically uh, putting putting in more hallways so people from different departments would basically collide into each other right and putting more coffee stations and water coolers to try to encourage that very organic idea exchange and I, I feel like what you described fits that that model quite well yeah that that is the Silicon Valley lore everyone talks about those days and have clearly it's influenced commercial real estate spaces and and the way we look at offices. But also I see those things evolving as the type of work people do evolve and not, uh, you know, I, I, this is, doesn't need to be the discussion about how, you know, workspaces will change in the next five years. But even in our world, you know, we went through that evolution of we loved being in a big open desk space area for those exact reasons. And then as you know, focused work became a little bit more valued than the distracted, uh, you know, idea exchange, which are useful, but we didn't want to be a hundred percent of the time we, you know, moved into small, you know, private offices mm -hmm. and, you know, now we're even more private in the way that we're just talking to boxes all day remotely across the country as a team. And it does, I do start to think again about those hallways and those coffee centers and how to recreate those environments. Want to uh, dig in a little bit to uh, related to that. Uh, you've, you've done a lot of work as well to cultivate uh, community and hosting uh, events. Uh, do you want to talk just a little bit to uh, just pulling on the thread of collaboration a little bit more, but uh, putting on events to bring in other community members, just what motivated you to do that? And uh, what, what did you get out of it? I wouldn't exactly call myself a super connector, but I, I definitely identify with people who are, and I value that. Uh, I've always found that there's, you know, no better way to make an introduction than to, uh, you know, to be able to introduce two other people together or say, you know, you know, someone you should talk to. And, over time, I've found that there was a really immature uh, marketing ecosystem in our in the region, and by that I mean it really hadn't developed in a meaningful way. There were when we first started these small Facebook group pocket of meetups. Uh, there was a, a meetup.com meetup, and all of them sort of fade away and. It was really disappointing because as a, a team of marketers that wanted to connect with other people to share ideas and resources, we were connecting. I was networking with people all over the region all the time, all over the country all the time. And a lot of people didn't really know each other. 
And over the last few years and, and not recently for obvious reasons, uh, I, I've tried to pull those people together as much as possible in these formal or, you know, unofficial events. And the most, the most recent one was a year long monthly meetup for modern marketers. And we had this whole concept that if we could just eliminate any of the objections that someone would have to showing up, then all they have to do is just show up and it'll be worth their time. So you have to be able to, uh, you know, for speakers, this whole event series at the time was a panel discussion, which isn't always the most interesting, but at least in a panel, like you're meeting, you're getting different perspectives from different people. No one has to prepare anything as a speaker. And as an attendee, we made sure that it was sandwiched as a just for fun, you know, networking happy hour type event. So instead of doing this quick lunch and learn in and out thing, we wanted the learning to be there, but it to be, you know, to begin it with a, a cocktail party basically, and to end it with the same one and to allow people to stay as long as they wanted. And that either whether they came and, you know, were, were quiet or they came for the full thing, they were always going to leave feeling like it was worth their time. Cause that's really what makes someone come back is, was the first time I went worth coming back the next time. I like that a lot. And uh, from an experienced design side, I just really appreciate the way that you, you kind of look at some of the friction points for multiple people, right? The, the attendees, right? Is, uh, is this going to be, is this going to be fun? Is it going to be valuable for the speakers? Uh, hey, if I put you on a panel, you don't really have to prepare. I just, we just want to talk to you and let you riff on your expertise. So I, I love the way that you're continually working at chipping away, removing those friction points from, from everybody that's participating in the, in the system and kind of you know, making sure that there was an educational and networking element to it. Yeah. And I think over time it could have evolved to be even bigger and, and we could do this even better, but largely what I do for stuff like this, I, I'm not going to pretend to be a big event producer, but what I have learned is from, if anything, it's, it's really just me picking up lots of little things that I like from different experiences, documenting that, and then making sure that if I was going to do it, I'm going to take the best of all of those things that I see. Right. I think a lot of, you know, being creative is about curating great ideas from other experiences you've had and then deploying them uh, in your own unique way. And and that's largely what we did. It, there's nothing about that is innovative and, and I, I wouldn't pretend that it is, but I, a lot of the best events I I've been to or the best, you know, most useful networking events that didn't feel like quote unquote networking uh, had those elements. And the ones that I didn't, didn't really think were worth my time and that I don't attend uh, tend to, you know, try to force a, a different type of agenda on you or misses the point of why people really come. And right. I, I think that's what we're really latching on to. Thanks. Want to talk a little bit uh, more about your your journey as an entrepreneur with Sculpt. So you had that going and just double checking. 
did it officially uh, start before you graduated or, or was it after graduation that you launched? Yeah, we launched in January or February, 2012, depending on how you'd call that, that start date. I mean, there's probably nothing funnier than the idea of like a business for start date, because, you know, what does that really signify? But that, that was totally when it was. So it was technically when we were still students, I had co-founders at the time and we were all students. And could you, could you picture back then nearly a decade ago, uh, that the business would still be going today? Yeah, not in the slightest. I, I don't think I thought beyond that year even. And I, I do think there's really two types of founding stories and, and founder types. There's the people who begin with this bold, ambitious vision of the world and how they're going to impact it or, or what kind of business they're going to create over the next five to 10 years based on the problems they've seen in their world or their industry. And they kind of see that end game. And I, I love people that can do that. I love the idea of that. Then there's the other camp of people who really go by the, the seat of their pants, only knowing that they want to change their current state or that they want to do something in the short term that hopefully turns into the next thing, but they don't really see beyond that first level. And that's also okay. That was definitely us. And the idea of turning this into, you know, not just a learning opportunity and short-term business venture, but a, you know, vehicle for, you know, something that I've spent a third of my life doing would, would be, uh, not even in like the top five things I thought would happen in the next <laughs> five years. Thanks. Can you tell me a little bit too about, uh, and, and correct me if I'm, if I'm not on target here, but, uh, in the time that I've known you, uh, it felt like you were, you were, uh, remaining nimble and, and refining even a, a niche, uh, and just kind of the thought process, both as a, as a practitioner, but also as a business owner, how you were able to stay, stay nimble and then focus on, on new areas. And, and I'm thinking that, uh, you know, I, I feel like early days of, uh, social marketing and social media, it was seen as a complete B2C play, right. And just more like engagement and, it, the way that you've focused on uh, the the market for also B2B and hooking business owners in this process. I'm just kind of curious, uh, and you don't have to give away like special sauce, but more like, hey, this is an insight. This is something we want to go after and how you kind of stay nimble in that process. You know, the funny part about something so niche like social media marketing for B2B businesses is that it's still pretty broad. And yet in the vast world of marketing services, it seems pretty niche and narrow. Uh, and yet it shows you how much nuance there is in every type of business. Because when we started, we thought we were niche by working in the world of social media marketing and manage services. So like we, we'll come and manage your Twitter account, Facebook account, we're, we'll create all the content. But social media breaks down into 
you know, five or six different disciplines. If you look at it, there's the creative, there's the strategy side, there's the paid ads, there's the analytics and, and data side, there's client education and consulting on that. And then there's community management, actually the day-to-day -day work of building a community. So all of those things are separate uh, areas of focus. So you can go even more niche than that. We, and we kept learning on each of these functions, like what is our secret sauce? You know, where are we play the best? And a lot of it had to do with who, what our team looked like at the time. If you hire a great creative, then all of a sudden we're a creative shop. When we hired a uh, experience ad exec that now lives in the area that we're now a strategy shop. And over time we've had to say, well, what, uh, not just a, what are we best at because what we were best at reflected the team at the time, which I wanted to move away from, but instead, where do we see the biggest opportunity to make the biggest impact that we can differentiate from other people and that is solving a big enough problem. And, you know, that means also where can we, you know, make money and impact at the same time. And, then instead of trying to niche down into the specific service area from those you know six areas that we talked about, we just looked at the type of clients that we were able to achieve those those two big uh, you know decision points on you know what was most impactful and what did we think we were best at doing. B two B businesses are I think have a weirdly I don't know where the reputation that they are boring or less creative or less like B2C is. I don't know where that comes from because at the end of the day, I'll, I'll try not to use the analogy of human to human that everyone points out, but truly in marketing, you're just trying to move a person to make a decision and to change the way they think about something. You know, really marketing is just, uh, and branding is just about, yeah, creating an association. It's about helping make, help someone make a decision, influence a decision, um, by getting from point A to point B, however you want to define right, it, right. B2B really just, uh, is about there's, there's more people involved in a decision, but there's a very clear process for where social media fits into someone's process of discovering something new is discovering a, a solution to a problem, evaluating, who and how can I use them and why should I pick them? And then, and sort of keeping in touch with them, it, it just makes a lot of sense that the targeting and one-to-one -one power of social media, one-to-many uh, powers of social media really work well for that. And so we just decided to, in, in a couple of years ago, take the best case studies we had from working with companies where we naturally found a fitment with them in the B2B space and create, you know, tailor all of our services to speaking to that audience directly. So mostly the only thing that changed was we just changed our external messaging, like how we talk to the market. And over time, we then changed more of our actual delivery of our services. How do we actually work with those type of companies differently? Thanks. Uh, also, as a, uh, an entrepreneur and business owner, I'm always kind of curious. So advice that I received from a friend of mine who had been in, in multiple kind of uh, uh, startup companies and has been fairly successful 
but he's he's always encouraged me to make sure that you take time to to work on the business, not just in the business. And uh, it's a struggle for me, right? Because in the business is you're doing the client work, you're getting the work done, but then also the strategy working on the business. Where do we want to go? What are our goals? And I'm I'm curious on how you might balance those yourself. Well, I do a lot more of that, but I, I was actually thinking about this today because I was looking at how we've organized our company and the things that I do the most of. And I, I spend more of my time than ever before on what I would generally call sales, but is of course, everything that encompasses that. So it's everything from you know, we don't do a lot of like outbound or cold calling people. It's more of we're doing lots of uh, content marketing to attract the right type of people. And then after they come into our, you know, into our universe, what are we doing to present ourselves to pitch our business the best way we can? And, and anyway, I was, bring, I was thinking about that because through the work of sales, which I probably was 25% of my time or 10% of my time before. And now is, you know, 60% of what I focus on. I think that to me has been the best exercise in working on the business because as opposed to just whatever working on the business in this nebulous way is supposed to mean, like, I guess in the early days, it meant I'd on the weekend, go to the coffee shop and I would, you know, write down our biggest problems and I would scope out what the next three years could look like, but you weren't getting a lot of action done on that. It was just a good thinking exercise, but now working on sales, I'm listening to what prospects, you know, what, what large companies, uh, what very specific problems those companies have all the time. And then I'm thinking about in real time, I'm presenting back what we're going to do, but then I'm also thinking about what we need to do as a company to get to do this well. And I'm also thinking about who we're going to need to be able to make that happen. And then I'm thinking about what else we could do to really uh, bring this to the next level. And, and really just those sales conversations and then the process of building the proposals and, and the decks to sort of bring them on and onboarding them is the best exercise in, in like growth planning I've ever had, because I can really clearly see what we need to do in the future and all of the things that we need to accomplish to get it done. And I feel like, and if anyone's ever stuck, it's like, you just need to talk to customers. You just need to talk to the, the audience you want to, even if it's a lot of rejection or it's a lot of uh, wasted time, that's really where it can help you point your lens as opposed to s spending all this time looking internally I've found that speaking externally can then help me realign what we need to do internally. Thanks. Taking a step back to just thinking about your, your journey a little bit. I know we, we talked, when we started, we talked about pre-business, but before you, before you went to school, what was it, what was it about like kind of a marketing realm that even attracted you or what, what did young Josh want to be before he set off for school? I was, people describe me all the time as having two different lives or, or being really surprised when they learn about my, my pre entrepreneurship life, I, I suppose, like my pre sculpt era, I was a extreme car guy nerd. I was a, I was involved in the, the street racing community in Chicago. I was 
a member of all of the forums. I owned and I moderated and managed a, a forum uh, for people that owned this certain make and model of car. I taught myself how to work on these, take apart these cars before I owned one by reading online manuals. And, you know, I put up my first, uh, I put up the first YouTube video in 2006, right at the beginning of YouTube, oh, 2005. Um, you know, right, right when YouTube was starting, uh, and I would go and organize these big car meets and, you know, all my friends at the time were in their twenties and thirties and I was a teenager. So I basically had this other life where I was, uh, building, tuning and racing cars, like a specific type of car and using the kind of early social media, uh, which was mostly forums and MySpace to, organize a community, like a real community of people and host events and create content and, uh, facilitate commerce. Like we had, we, you know, the thousands of people were transacting, buying, selling cars and parts on our, on our website. And none of that really struck me as, uh, as something that I could do my entire life or, or that I thought was, uh, going to be a, a long-term career. I knew it was like an interest of mine, Yeah, but it, it, it really was the building blocks for almost everything I did later. And uh, I probably could just like cars is one thing that people don't know about me. I, there's all of these really specific things that I, I know a lot about. I'm terrible at trivia because I know an incredible vast amount about a very small number of things as, as opposed to like a, a small amount about a lot of things. Right, right. So in my life, I've always had these like really specific passion areas that I, I go very deep on and that I think the internet has, has taught me how to, you know, transact around and how to meet people and connect and build community on. And it, it led to realizing that that was early social media marketing. That's, that's great. No. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, a really close friend of mine, uh, He's a, uh, a Carmen Ghia enthusiast and goes through phases of buying one, restoring it, but doing it all himself by hand, right? And ordering parts and like you said, being part of these specialized, uh, specific niche communities where there's in-depth knowledge exchange. And uh, you know, earlier this year, I helped him just because he can do almost everything by himself, but it was just getting the engine out. Uh, and even, even the, like the community, somebody makes a very specialized piece that goes on a Jack to fit this specific model of Carmagia engine. And, you know, so there, there's just a little bit of lifting, right? Cause it's, it's not that much bigger than a, a lawnmower engine, right? but you don't want to drop it on your toes, but it, I just love, uh, there's something That's about awesome. me about hearing about these, these specialized uh, communities and exchanges and the knowledge and problem solving that I think sometimes we're our better selves, like in all, like what you've described in other communities that online communities I've been a part of when they're like super positive and like, yeah, some early days of forums, right. And it was just on a topic and, Oh, Hey, if you're interested in this, here's it. Or I've been parts of guitar groups where people are helping like, Hey, I have this guitar. I can't date this. Okay. Do this, do this, check this. What does this look like? And there's something about that human connection and power about uh, when people are nerding out about things that really interest them that I, I absolutely love. I know 
there's been so much about the negative side of social media, right? With like radical behavior in a politicized world, but uh, some of what you're describing, you know, the the healthy, happy days of yeah, there are there are bright spots on the internet, yeah. So yeah, no, I didn't totally know agree. that about cars. So how are you scratching that car itch now? I'm not, I live in DC. So I'm about at the, as far <laughs> away from uh, owning a car as, as you can get. We sold both of our cars when we moved here. And I, you know, what's funny. I mean, owning and modifying uh, and being involved in a car community like that is, is basically the, the, best way to light money on fire. I mean, it is just the absolute worst value proposition. If you take a $10,000 car and put $20,000 into it, what is the car worth? The car is worth $10,000. Like you did nothing except burn money. It's amazing and it's super fun and it's totally impractical. And I'm taking a break, I think, from that universe. Because I'll also say it it involves things that uh, I'm not super big into funny enough i i learned in that whole experience like you'd imagine oh you're really into cars as a teenager you could get a, a mechanical engineering degree you could go into the automotive space you can there's really obvious ways that people might think that your career will go i strongly disliked fixing cars i strongly disliked you know the mechanical uh problem solving of why doesn't this thing fit? That was like the bane of my existence. What I really love doing is talking technical stuff. I loved communicating to other people about this total, just uh, this different language that only people in the space would know. I loved arguing with people about things. I loved, uh, you know, connecting people to each other in the space. I love knowing all the important people, it, it, basically everything else that involved you know, and I loved racing and driving the cars, of course, but I, I liked everything except the actual mechanical part, even though I knew a lot about it. And I think that is almost the perfect description of who I became too. I, I, I know and can speak to just about anything. I don't always want to be the one that has to do all of the things right, and right. get into the weeds in the, in a mechanical sense. Cause I'm, I'm not super inclined that way. And I, I, can now live that through the power of the internet. I, I'd also say that if I, I think I'm kind of away from that community until I go look at my YouTube search results or, or my <laughs> YouTube uh, recommended. If you really want to know what someone's about, you go see what is recommended to them on Instagram or YouTube, because it's, it's not at all what someone says about themselves. It's what they actually click on and watch. And, and clearly that itch is being scratched, you know, between, 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. when I'm watching these videos like late at night. Right. Yeah. I, I notice how quickly my YouTube algorithm uh, modifies as well. Um, so uh, over the past course of a month and a half, uh, the number of videos that switched from uh, uh, Mandalorian based Easter eggs or things mm-hmm. you might have missed to WandaVision Easter eggs and things I might have missed. But yeah, they dialed in pretty quickly on on some of those elements. Yep, they got it. Uh, talk to me a little bit too about now sitting where you're at. I, I just found it interesting, like you said, there are so many car related things that you didn't do, but there are so many things related to who you are in your business that you were doing through that process, uh, right? It, a lot of like looking at uh, language, influence, or community uh, use of uh, uh, internet technology. Uh, I find it 
interesting sometimes when we can look back and these these disconnected things when you're going through it, but you can almost see a pattern when you reflect back on it. Uh, but if you don't mind, one of the big things I like to talk about is advice and two of the, two of the passes generally takes, and you can, you can do one or the other, both is uh, I steal from Austin Cleon steal like an artist, right? You know, like when you, we give advice, a lot of times we're just talking to our younger self, but there are other, that's one path. Another path is, uh, advice from a, a, a relative, a mentor, uh, a coach that has sometimes, sometimes it tends to sound funny at first, uh, but then you unpack it that it was pretty wise, but either good advice you've received or advice you wish you would have received uh, early in your career. You know, something I've been thinking about recently related to that is, is more specific to myself about documenting everything. I see a trend actually right now where people are beginning to talk very openly about, you know, documenting every single thing they do that day. I mean, a, a diary basically like a, but a journal of, of your life or, or things that make you grateful. Everyone has like a different version of the thing they write down, but that's such a powerful uh, concept. And it's something that I really wish I did more consistently in the past to, to see the growth over time because I have a pretty poor memory. I have a very specific memory. It's, it's, I can remember certain things just precisely. I know exactly how much a certain client paid us four years ago on this one month. And I can't tell you, uh, I forget names of, of, who we're actually working with all the time, or, or I don't know why there's just certain things that I don't stick in my brain. Everyone's like that, I'm sure. But it, this all can be So the thing that I've always regretted that I don't remember very well are things like you're talking about recalling lessons learned, recalling really specific insights that I wanted to share that I didn't end up sharing. Uh, you know, going through your day, I, I, you just get these spontaneous ideas. Uh, my Evernote has 3000 entries and they're totally all over the place, yet it is the single source of truth of my life. And if it, I think you could unpack my entire existence by going through there. And it's been, even though it's something I wish I did more of uh, consistently and more organized, it's something that I refer back to all the time to understand where I, what I was thinking or what I wanted to re remember at this point in time. Uh, it, it sort of fills, it's my second brain. Or maybe people would call it your third brain. I think people sometimes refer it to. Um, I, I so highly recommend people have that, um, that they take notes religiously about things that they pick up in the world that they want to keep with them and document it. You, you are on to something that has been driving me nuts for a long time is I still don't have a good process or tool set for good note taking from, wait, that, that's just more of an insight I want to remember. Uh, that, that's an action item I don't want to forget, right? And, or calendar entry. I'm looking at a way, like, how do I blend this and how do I, you know, go to one source because I have... I have probably three or four different note-taking apps, three different physical notebooks going on at different times, notes that I leave in physical books. So this has been a struggle for me. So I've been, I've been looking into that. And it was just yesterday I was talking to 
uh, a friend, and uh, this is coming more from an academic research side, but uh, have you heard of uh, Obsidian? I, it's uh, new to me, know. but it's, uh, it's basically, it can, it, it's a way to basically curate a lot of markdown files that you have. Oh. So I was just starting to explore it. So I was just kind of curious that, and you, you said Evernote, I've, uh, Evernote and I have had like a tumultuous relationship. Sometimes we're really yeah, hot for too. each other. Other times I, I can't stand looking at it. Uh, but I think yeah, there's I, no good answer here. This is such a huge uh, area of, of play for consultants. Like lots of people like to recommend their own tool set and, and tons of people. I, I mean, the thing that I used to love the most that I used to laugh at the most at, at startup weekend pitches when, um, we, when I used to, uh, judge them or a, a mentor on those is that every single time without fail, someone will come up with a new kind of like note taking and discovery app, um, among other things like where to get food around town. But that's yeah. one that always comes up some note taking thing. Cause no one really feels like the problem is solved for them and people that are generally organized thinkers, I, I feel like kind of can gravitate towards one or another based on some, you know, ridiculous uh, feature that one specific feature that it has. I, I can't help you at all on this journey of yours right. because I have a total <laughs> definition of organized chaos in Evernote, yeah. but I can tell you that at least by sticking to having one place, as opposed to my desk is just absolutely scattered with single sheet notepad <laughs> notes that I, I needed to take in person. And that has, you know, not transferred well to anywhere else. It, at least, you know, Evernote is my source of truth for any really important memory or self, uh, actualization, self, uh, identity, uh, confirmation, something I want to remember about myself. I do put it there and it, it just is so it's a superpower to be self-aware. And I, I think it's something that I did not understand how important it was until I, I started looking back at my old notes. It's funny that you're talking about the uh, the startup weekend challenge with note taking because I uh, I think I would be blurring some ethical grounds, but I am honestly thinking about having uh, some of my innovation students as their semester project <laughs> look at what what is the true problem for uh, for for note taking and, and life management yes. when it comes to calendar, comes to notes, comes to the type of notes you want, and and also yeah that anything related to, like you said, the second, third brain, that, but that distributed cognition benefit of a good system without being overwhelmed or run by the system. That's, that's kind of what I'm trying to, mm -hmm. trying to figure out. Uh, Josh, was there anything we didn't cover today when you thought uh, you were going to jump on the podcast that you wanted to touch, touch base or cover? I, I, I'm fascinated by the the concept of the Iowa idea, which I first heard about when the Entrepreneur Center was looking to build a building and they were researching it. And I, I think they they uncovered more about the formation of the Iowa idea. I, if anything, I have to add, it's mostly just a discussion with you, um, <laughs> which we'll probably continue to do forever about uh, you know, what, what that really means, um, today in context and, 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 uh, 
what it, what you hope maybe this could become as a collection of all these different ideas you've now curated? Yeah, I think for me, going back to what I found fascinating about the original IO idea, it was one, could creativity be taught? That was a debate 100 years ago. Um, it's, I think it's probably still a debate today. But uh, right, and then Iowa's contribution to bringing scholars and practitioners together to see what might happen and the benefits for all involved, uh, and then you know an MFA degree, right? That we take that for granted in academia now that there are there's a creative master's program and you can turn in creative work. But the thought that that didn't exist, I just love how. Somebody worked hard, usually not one person, a group of people putting things together, starting small that builds into something that we just take for granted, you know, in a good way. Uh, but then, then also, you know, we have the workshop right in Iowa city and just the contributions of, of writers. What I would love is for me talking to a number of creatives and exploring their journey, their advice is, are there things that might help other people that um, maybe they just need a little push or a nudge uh, or that they think they might not be an innovator, uh, but then they hear these stories and, oh, that sounds like me. Uh, so I'm not quite sure exactly, but still wanting to celebrate the, you know, the, the craftsperson and the creative that is making the world a better place and, and the collaboration that I think is uh, absolutely necessary uh in our society today for us to move forward positively i love it as a true creative you're you're just letting the process take you somewhere and you will see what the the final uh outcome will be once right. it's all together i can't wait <laughs> Well, Josh, absolute pleasure. Uh, I wish I could see you more. Uh, and also I uh, tell Blue I said hi. <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, will do. Yeah, and thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure having you here. Always, always love chatting with you. Thanks so much for having me.